Chapter Twelve of the Queen's Necklace by Alexander Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Monsieur de Charny, Monsieur de Souffrain had requested his nephew to wait his return, and he therefore remained in the group as before. The Queen, speaking low to Andrea and glancing towards him, said, "It is he. There is no doubt." Mon Dieu, yes, Madame, it is he indeed at this moment the door opened and a gentleman dressed in the robes of a cardinal and followed by a long train of officers and prelates entered the room the queen immediately recognized monsieur de rohan and turned away her head without taking the trouble to hide the frown which overspread her face he crossed the room without stopping to speak to any one and coming straight up to her bowed to her more as a man of the world bows to a lady than as a subject to a queen and then addressed some rather high-flown compliments to her but she scarcely looked at him and after murmuring a few cold words in reply began to talk to madame de lamballe the cardinal did not seem to notice this chilling reception but bowed again and retired without appearing in the least disconcerted he then turned to the king's aunts from whom he met with a reception as cordial as the queen's had been the reverse the cardinal louis de rohan was a man in the prime of life and of an imposing figure and noble bearing his eyes shone with intelligence his mouth was well cut and handsome and his hands were beautiful a premature baldness indicated either a man of pleasure or a studious one and he was both he was a man no little sought after by the ladies and was noted for his magnificent style of living indeed he had found the way to feel himself poor with an income of one million six hundred thousand francs the king liked him for his learning but the queen hated him the reasons for this hate were twofold first when ambassador to vienna he had written to louis the fifteenth letters so full of sarcasm on maria theresa that her daughter had never forgiven him and he had also written letters opposing her marriage which had been read aloud by louis the fifteenth at a supper at madame du barry's the embassy at vienna had been taken from monsieur de breteuil and given to monsieur de rohan the former gentleman not strong enough to revenge himself alone had procured copies of these letters which he had laid before the dauphiness thus making her the eternal enemy of monsieur de rohan this hatred rendered the cardinal's position at court not a little uncomfortable every time he presented himself before the queen he met with the same discouraging reception in spite of this he neglected no occasion of being near her for which he had frequent opportunities as he was chaplain to the court and he never complained of the treatment he received a circle of friends among whom the baron de planta was the most intimate helped to console him for these royal rebuffs not to speak of the ladies of the court who by no means imitated the severity of the queen towards him when he was gone marie antoinette recovered her serenity and said to madame de lamballe do you not think that this action of the nephew of monsieur de souffrain is one of the most remarkable of the war what is his name by the by monsieur de charny i believe replied the princess was it not she said turning to andrea yes your highness Monsieur de Charnay shall describe it to us himself, said the queen. Is he still here? Let him be sought for. An officer who stood near hastened to obey her, 
and immediately returned with Monsieur de Charny, and the circle round the queen made way for him to approach. He was a young man, about eight and twenty, tall and well-made. His face, animated and yet sweet, took a character of singular energy when he spoke, and dilated his large blue eyes, and he was, strange to say, for one who had been fighting in India, as fair as Philippe was dark. When he had approached the place where the queen sat, with Mademoiselle de Tavernay standing near her, he did not betray his surprise in any way, although it must have been great, in recognizing the ladies of the evening before. He did not look up until she addressed him, saying, "'Monsieur de Charny, these ladies experienced the natural desire which I share with them to hear from yourself all the details of this action of your ship.' "'Madame,' replied the young officer, "'I beg your majesty to spare me the recital, not from modesty, but from humanity. What I did as lieutenant, a dozen other officers doubtless wished to do. Only I was the first to put it in execution, and it is not worthy being made the subject of a narration to your majesty. Besides, the captain of the Severe is a brave officer who on that day lost his presence of mind. Alas, madame, we all know that the most courageous are not always equally brave. He wanted but ten minutes to recover himself. My determination not to surrender gave him the breathing time. His natural courage returned to him, and he showed himself the bravest of us all. Therefore, I beg your majesty not to exaggerate the merit of my action, and thereby crush this deserving officer who deplores incessantly the failing of a few moments. Right said the queen, touched by these generous words. "'You are a true gentleman, Monsieur de Charny, and such I already know you to be.' The young man colored crimson and looked almost frightened at Andrea, fearing what the queen's rash generosity might lead her to say. "'For,' continued the intrepid queen, "'I must tell you all that this is not the first time I have heard of Monsieur de Charny.' who deserves to be known and admired by all ladies, and to show you that he is as indulgent to our sex as he is merciless to his enemies, I will relate a little history of him which does him the greatest honor. "'Oh, madame,' stammered the young man, who felt as if he would have given a year of his life back to be in the West Indies. "'This, then, is it,' continued the queen to her eager listeners, Two ladies, whom I know, were detained out late and became embarrassed in a crowd. They ran a great risk. A real danger awaited them. Monsieur de Charny happily passed by at the moment. He dispersed the crowd, and although they were unknown to him, and it was impossible to recognize their rank, took them under his protection and escorted them a long way, ten miles from Paris, I believe. Oh! <laughs> "'Your Majesty exaggerates,' said Monsieur de Charny, laughing, and now quite reassured. "'Well, we will call it five, said the Count d'Artois, suddenly joining in the conversation. "'Let it be five, then, brother,' said the Queen. "'But the most admirable part of the story is that Monsieur de Charny did not seek even to know the names of these ladies whom he had served.' but left them at the place where they wished to stop, and went away without even looking back, so that they escaped from his protection without even a moment's disquietude. 
all expressed their admiration a knight of the round table could not have acted better her majesty went on and so monsieur de charny as the king will doubtless take upon himself to reward monsieur de souffrin i for my part wish to do something for the nephew of this great man as she spoke she held out her hand to him and charny pale with joy pressed his lips to this beautiful hand while philippe looked on from an obscure corner pale with an opposite emotion the voice of monsieur d'artois interrupted this scene saying loudly ah provence you come too late you have missed a fine sight the reception of monsieur de souffrin really it was one that a frenchman can never forget how the devil did it happen that you were not here you who are generally the punctual man par excellence Monsieur de Provence bit his lips with vexation, and whispered to Monsieur de Favras, his captain of the guards, "'How does it come to pass that he is here?' "'Ah, Monseigneur, I have been asking myself that question for the last hour, and have not yet found an answer.'" End of chapter 12 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia